We begin, if I could ask you actually to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 20. (coughs) I'm just going to read two verses. John's Gospel, chapter 20, and verse 30 and 31. everyone got it? Okay. I'll just read these two verses before we start. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Keep one eye on those two verses. That would be appreciated. Okay, so today we're going to begin a new sermon series in our morning services. Now, uh, prior to Christmas, can you remember uh, that far back, back past all the uh, mince pies and the cakes and the presents and all that stuff? Prior to Christmas, um, I'm sure you remember, we undertook an eight-part series. We looked at the attributes of God, didn't we? We looked at the character of God, uh, the nature of God. But we're now going to kind of change direction somewhat. And we're going to look at something new. Something I hope will be uh, exciting. Something that will be challenging. Because we're going to look at the Gospel of John. Okay? We're going to look at the Gospel of John. But we're not going to do it in the, uh, in the normal way that that people might. Now, we're not going to look at John's gospel in a sequential way. You know, normally we might begin at verse, chapter one, verse one, and work through John kind of passage by passage or chapter by chapter. But we're not going to do that. Instead, the plan is to look at the seven signs of Jesus. In John's Gospel, okay? The seven signs of Jesus. And we're going to take as our title for this series the question that's really at the forefront of John's mind as he writes his Gospel. Because there's a question, really, that is fundamental to everything that he writes in the gospel, it kind of fundamentally governs everything in this book. And it's the question, simple question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So that's the question that John asks in these signs, and he answers. And that'll be the the question that we pose in this sermon series. And um, I would ask you to really pray 
about this sermon series. Really pray about it. Because today what we'll do is we're going to have a kind of overview sermon of the signs, a kind of introductory sermon. And then we're going to take, for the next seven Sundays, we're going to take a sign and we're going to look at it. So please, please pray that as we put these things together and we look at these signs, pray that Jesus would reveal more of himself to us. Pray that as we study John's gospel and as we study these signs, that we would just be filled with with a greater love for Jesus, a greater affection and adoration for him. So pray about the sermon series. I urge you, I beg you, please pray. But enough of that. Let's, let's get to this series, okay? Now let's look at this overview sermon, an overview of the signs, and God willing, uh, we will look at four points, four brief points this morning. So let's get straight to it, and let's consider our first point, and that is that the signs authenticate the message of Jesus. Have you got that? Signs in John, they serve to authenticate the message of Jesus. Okay, now, before we get into the detail, we need to think about and consider a bit of the background to the signs in John. And we need to know, first of all, that John's gospel differs in many, many ways from the other gospels in the Bible. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call those the synoptic gospels. And John's gospel differs in many ways from them. Because much of John's gospel is arranged thematically. According to theme, eh, rather than being arranged chronologically, rather than by date and by time. And John leaves out or he omits many of the details of Jesus' life that the synoptic gospels include. Now, have you ever noticed, for instance, that John's gospel doesn't have a birth narrative? Okay, you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that there isn't a a temptation of Christ either? There isn't a transfiguration. There, isn't, there aren't these long narrative parables. There's not a sermon on the mount in John's gospel. There isn't a, a, a big detailed last supper either. Okay? And then, and this is important, okay? This is important for what we're looking at today. John is much, much more selective than the synoptics about the miracles that he includes in uh, his gospel. And that means that the miracles that he does choose to include, he sees those as being incredibly important, incredibly significant. You see, folks, what it boils down to here is that the miracles in John's gospel, they are more symbolic 
more symbolic than the miracles recorded in the synoptics. Okay, and we see that in the Greek words that are used in the Gospels. Okay, stick with me here, because when Jesus performs a miracle in Matthew or Mark or Luke, then the author refers to that miracle by the term dunamis. Okay, dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite. It's a word that that refers to the power of Jesus. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they call miracles dunamis. But John doesn't do that. John never, ever does that. John uses a completely different word. If Jesus performs a miracle in John, John refers to that by the word semea. Semea. Which doesn't refer to the power of Jesus. It refers to the miracle as being a sign. A sign. Now just think of it, if you will, in terms of Las Vegas. Okay? Now, doesn't matter if we've been to Las Vegas or not, but I'm sure that all of us can picture that huge big sign um, at the entrance to the city. You know, welcome to Las Vegas. You know the sign. It's huge and it's, uh, it's red and it's blue and it's got flashing lights in it. And yeah, that sign might be something to see. You know, people stop and they, they look at it and they take photos of it. But it's still just a sign. That sign is pointing to something greater. It's pointing a couple of hundred yards down the road to Las Vegas, to the strip there where there's infinitely a, a much greater display of lights and colour and bulbs and the works. And really, folks, that's what the miracles in John's gospel are all about. They're not just a display of power. They're pointing to something. They're pointing to something greater. They're pointing to Jesus. These miracles tell us what Jesus is. And they tell us who Jesus is. They're signs. And we don't just uh, find these kind of symbolic signs in John's gospel. They're present elsewhere in scripture. Um, They're present in the Old Testament too. And in the Old Testament, these sorts of symbolic signs, they cluster around one figure really, and that one figure is Moses. Now just think about the the episodes in Moses' life. Think of the episode of the staff being turned into a snake and then back again, and the, the episode of leprosy breaking out on Moses' hands. Now why did that happen? Why did those things happen to Moses? Well, they happened so that the people of God who were listening to Moses, that they would believe that this message that Moses had, that it came from God. These signs, these wonders, these miracles, they acted to legitimize 
and to authenticate Moses' message as being divine in origin. And, and that's the same thing that's happening in John's gospel. You see, Jesus is performing these signs, not, as I've said, not as an, just an elaborate display of power. He performs these signs so that people would realize that this message that he's got, this ministry, that it is divine, that it is from God. Folks, I hope, I hope you're seeing this with me. I realize, I do, I realize that it is not uh, the most straightforward stuff in the world, but I do hope that we all grasp this first point here, that signs in John, they function to validate Jesus' words. They function to authenticate Jesus' message. Okay. Now, does the, the name Paul Gustav Doré, does that name ring a bell to anyone? Paul Gustav Doré. Well, <coughs> uh, Doré was a world-famous engraver and illustrator, probably uh, mid to late 19th century. And you know these, I'm sure a lot of us have got kind of ancient Bibles at home. And you know the engravings you sometimes get at the, the front of these Bibles? They're black and white usually with uh, an Old Testament scene covered by a bit of tracing paper. Well, if you've got that in a Bible at home, probably nine times ten that's done by Paul Gustav Doré. And Doré was uh, travelling in Europe, and uh, he had lost his papers, he had lost his passport. And he got to a checkpoint at a, a border control, and he tried to explain to the official there who he was. He tried to say, you know, I'm, I'm Paul Gustave Doré. But the official, the guard there, was having absolutely none of it. He didn't believe for a second that this guy was Paul Gustave Doré. But the guy was persistent, you know, Doré, Doré was saying, it is me, it is me. So the guard decided to provide a pencil and paper. And he said to this man claiming to be Paul Gustave Doré, you draw for me these peasants that are trying to get through the checkpoint and I'll see if I believe you. And Paul Gustave Doré sat and he drew the peasants. And as soon as he handed the paper back, the guard realised and believed instantly that this man was who he claimed to be. And that leads us to a second thing this morning, a second point. And that is that the signs in John, they glorify the person of Jesus. They don't just authenticate his message. They glorify the person of Jesus. Because the signs in John differ in a very fundamental way from the signs in the Old Testament that cluster around Moses. Because they don't just reveal what Jesus has. They don't just show us that he has a divine message. They also show us these signs. They show us who Jesus is. They show us that Jesus is the glory of the eternal 
Father. Because, you see, these signs, they have certain things in common. Each of the signs, there are seven signs in John, each of them is done in public. Okay? Each of them is done in the presence of unbelievers. Each of them is explicitly at one point called a sign. And then most importantly for us this morning, each of the signs shows the glory of God being displayed and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is one of the major themes of the Gospel of John. That the Father's glory is displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. That is all through John's Gospel. Right from the beginning, in verse 14 of chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. What comes next? We have seen his glory. What glory? The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And this theme, it is present in every single one of the signs. Take the first sign. The first sign is the turning of water into wine. Well, what is said after that? Well, John says, this first sign Jesus performed at Cana, he thus revealed his glory. And then in every other sign, right through to the last sign, the very last sign, the raising from the dead of Lazarus. And what's said there? Well, Jesus says that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it will be for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Do you get it? Do you see it? John's saying that Jesus is no ordinary man. This isn't just a messenger. This is a man who can heal the lame and make the blind see. This is a man who can feed the multitudes. This is a man who can raise the dead. This is the glory of God. And if you want that summed up, one commentator, he summed it up like this. This is great. He says, John presents Jesus' signs as the vehicles through which God's glory is revealed in Jesus. The signs are vehicles through which God's glory, the Father's glory, is displayed in the sun. So the signs don't just authenticate Jesus' message. They glorify him for who he is. He is the perfect son of God. He is the glory of the eternal father. <coughs> now, um, Catherine and I are um, busy looking for a new car these days because it has just dawned on us probably quite late that uh, given a couple of months' time, our present car is not going to be big enough to fit 
uh, the necessary and required amount of baby seats. Uh, so we are looking for something bigger. So we, I was on a, 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 yeah, a car website a while back, and I noticed that the car manufacturer, Kia, they are releasing a new car in uh, the summer, yeah, summer 2013, but they're not just releasing the car because they've involved themselves in what I think is quite a clever publicity stunt. Because what they're doing, they're releasing details of the car bit by bit. So what happens is first comes an announcement that a new car is coming. Okay? Then a really, really rough sketch of the new car appears. Then another new sketch. Then a statistic about the performance of the car. And then another statistic. You see, it's, it's building up piece by piece, little by little, until in the summer, customers will be able to get the full impression and they'll be able to see the glory, the, the car in all its glory. And friends, that takes us to our third point. And that is that the signs reveal aspects of Jesus. You follow me? The signs reveal aspects of Jesus. And here, we've got to consider how we should read these signs. How should these signs be read in order for us to properly understand them? And I know it sounds weird, but I want us to think of the signs as a jigsaw and as a legal argument. Bear with me. I know it sounds strange. A jigsaw and a legal argument. What do I mean by that? Well, the signs have great worth by themselves. Individually, they do. You know, if a, if a chap comes here next week and he preaches on Jesus healing the lame man, that is tremendous. And we will learn much from that. And we will mu- learn much about Jesus from that, just as when Kia released some of the statistics about the car, we learn more about the car from that. But remember what we said earlier on. Remember we said that these signs are linked. They've got things in common. They're done in public. They're done in, in the presence of unbelievers. And that means that we've got to appreciate that these signs shouldn't just be read individually. The signs in John's Gospel, they have to be taken collectively too. That's why I said it was a jigsaw. You know, each sign, each piece, it reveals certain details about Christ. It reveals certain details about his message and about his glory. And it's only when we take all of these pieces and all of these signs together, it's only then that we get this complete picture of who John reveals as the glorified and risen and majestic Son of God. So collectively. But, I didn't just say jigsaw, did I? A legal argument too. Why? A legal argument. Well, a good legal argument builds up, doesn't it? 
it is progressive and it's cumulative too. And that's, that's exactly what we've got in these signs. Because these signs in John's Gospel, they begin, I suppose you could say, they begin relatively small. They begin with the turning of water into wine. But then what happens? They grow and they develop and they increase and they, they snowball. And okay, he's turning water into wine, but then Jesus is then healing people. And then people are able to see and then the multitudes are are fed and it grows and it grows and then it reaches this climax in this courtroom argument where Jesus defeats death and raises Lazarus. And we'll see later, later in a couple of weeks, that it is no coincidence that it is a resurrection that is the high point and the pinnacle of this revelation of Jesus in the signs. So, let's pause. Let's make sure we get this right. The signs are to be read individually. But they also have to be taken collectively. And the signs have to be understood progressively they reveal different aspects of Jesus. But when these signs come together, they give us a complete picture. They give us a perfect picture. And they give us a glorious picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, my father, um, in his wisdom, he... Uh, organized a family holiday a few years ago. And he took the family, all of us, to a town called Luca in Tuscany in Italy. Very nice. And uh, I wasn't sure why he chose that. I thought he chose Luca because of the weather, the climate. I thought maybe it was something to do with the fact that Tuscany is supposed to be a beautiful part of the world. I thought maybe even it was because it's reasonably easy to get there from Edinburgh. But it wasn't until I got to Luca that I realized the reason that my dad had chosen this place because my dad is a classical music fanatic. He is crazy about this stuff. And uh, as we got into Luca and as we drove to our town, there were posters everywhere along every street for a Puccini opera festival that just so happened to be on the exact same days that uh, we were in Luca on holiday. And I thought, I see through you, old man. I know exactly what you are up to. And yeah, okay. The signs in John... They authenticate, they glorify, they reveal. But what is their ultimate purpose? What is the essential function of these signs? And in just a couple of words, let's think about that as our fourth point. And that is that the signs demand belief. In Jesus Christ. 
The signs demand belief. And we see that in that verse that we read just before the sermon. This verse that we're using as a springboard. Because what does chapter 20 and verse 31 say? It says that these signs are written that you may believe. That you may believe. And you see, there is an inherent challenge in the signs for the Christians this morning in this room. There is a challenge in the signs for you. Because that word that I've just read, the word believe in that phrase, you may believe. It, yeah, it carries the sense that at some point in our lives, there must be a point of acceptance, a point of belief, a point of trusting God. But that word also carries the sense that you and I as Christians must keep on believing. You see, these signs, they show us an incredible Savior. They show us an all-powerful and majestic Savior. A Savior that we must keep on trusting in. A Savior that we must keep on serving. These signs show us such an incredible Jesus that we must not just believe, we must keep on believing and trusting in him. And then we end and we conclude this morning with the challenge of the signs for the unbeliever. The challenge of the signs for the unbeliever. Because that little phrase, okay, and we're ending with this. This is the last thing we're saying. That little, that little phrase here that John reads, these signs are written that you may believe. It's been called the shortest summary of John's theology that he pens. Meaning that this is what it's all about for John. He cares that you believe. He writes this gospel that you believe through the Holy Spirit. He compiles this gospel. He takes these signs. He puts them together like this. Why? That you may believe. So friend, you know this morning, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I pray that as we do this together, okay, that as we look at these signs, I pray that you would see the message of Jesus more clearly. And I pray that Jesus would reveal his glory to you. And even if he can't just now, I pray that by the end of this series, and when faced with that question, that we began this morning with. Remember the question, who is Jesus? I pray that by the end of this series that you may be able to answer that. You might be able to say, who is Jesus? Well, I know who he is. For he is my God. He is my Savior. Just look at the signs. He is the Christ. 
the Son of the living God. Let us pray.